Our gospel this morning from John 14 is familiar if you've been around Christian funerals. And for good reason, it contains promises profound in comforting those who are in the grip of the face of death. But you know, there's more in this text than just simply what might happen at the end of life. It speaks to our lives today. So a background to this setting. It takes place in the context of Jesus' Last Supper in the upper room with his disciples. He's just washed their feet, giving him the mandate, that mandate, telling him why he did it and why they should do it for one another. He foretold that Judas was going to betray him, and Judas does slip out and do what he had planned to do. Jesus told his disciples that he'd be with them only a little longer, and where he was going, they could not come. And he also foretold that Peter would deny him, though Peter said, of course, oh, not me, no, never. It's here as we pick up the text this morning. Listen for these words. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In the house of God there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Rabbi, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God except through me. If you know me, you will know God also. From now on, you do know God, for you have seen God. Philip said to him, Rabbi, show us the Holy One, and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the face of God. How can you say, show us the Holy One? Do you not believe that I am in God and God is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own, but the one who dwells in me does this work. Believe me that I am in God and the Holy One is in me. But if you do not believe, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes me will also do the works that I do, and in fact, will do greater works than these because I'm going to God. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the holy may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me anything, I will do it. Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. The disciples had absolutely every reason to have troubled hearts. Their beloved teacher, their rabbi, is leaving them. One of their own, one of the twelve, who they had lived and worshipped and done chores with and ministered with, was betraying them. The stalwart 
apostle, Peter, the one on whom the church was to be built, the rock. They hear he is on the cusp of a great failure of loyalty and will deny the Christ. It is as though the sand on which the ground on which they are standing is shifting, and it was. Jesus responds to their anxiety by saying, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. What Jesus is doing is calling them back to the fundamentals of relationship, and that's to trust, to believe, and to assure them that he is not abandoning them. He tells them of his return to God, which in a sense is good news for them because the promise is that's eventually where they will be as well. Then this beloved line, in the house of God there are many rooms, many dwelling places, many mansions as the King James puts it. In the realm of God there are many, many places to stay. Then he says to them, you know the way to the place that I am going. And Thomas says, like so many in the Gospels, and like so many of us, takes Jesus literally. He wants directions. Give me a map quest. A road map to this place sounds like something I might say. I don't know about you. How often I have been like Phyllis, Phyllis, uh, Philip and Thomas, and Phyllis too, probably, <laughs> praying to God, you know, just do this one more answer to my prayer. Just show up. Promise me that you still are walking alongside me. Answer this prayer now. No matter how many times I've been surprised by grace, uplifted by mercy, surrounded by loving kindness, I'm still not quite satisfied. I want just a little more. Do you ever get caught in this trap? Jesus responds by saying, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to God except through me. Now, this verse, unfortunately, has been used as a weapon rather than an invitation, a trump card, or worse, a threat to tell people that they better get with the program to accept Jesus as their personal Lord or Savior or be out. That's not the way to interpret this verse, even though it has been interpreted this way for centuries. Elizabeth Johnson, who's a Lutheran theologian in the Cameroon at an institute there, said to interpret this verse is to rip it from its context and to do violence to the spirit of Jesus. Jesus wasn't trying to convert his disciples. They already knew who they were. Jesus was trying to comfort them. To use this verse to convict and convert is an anathema to scripture and to the words of the Christ. Jesus is trying to prepare his closest friends for the worst, the worst that is about to come. He isn't scolding them. He isn't threatening them. He isn't saying that there is only one way for them. What he's trying to do is trying to assure them that they're not alone. These are words that we need to hear. 
He knew their weakness as he knows ours. He knew their fears as he knows ours. He knew their limits as he knows ours. He doesn't pile things on them to do or believe. Rather, he builds them up, a message that is so important for these days in which we live together in community. So far from scolding, he's offering compassion. Don't let your hearts be troubled. What do you say to people who are in the midst of fear or pain or grief or loss? You don't come alongside them and say, have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? You come alongside them and embrace them and hug them and tell them things are going to be okay. Things are going to be okay. Don't let your hearts be troubled. And then he goes on, believe in God, believe also in me. There are many places to stay in the house of God. Don't worry. Even when one of you denies or desert me, I will not abandon you. There is a place prepared for you by me with God. Where I am going, you will eventually come there too. Furthermore, you know how to get there. You don't need a Google map. It's not a secret. Friends, our desire, I believe, is to be home in God, to be home in ourselves, to be secure in our relationships with one another. This cycles us back to trust. Alan Jones writes in Passion for Pilgrimage, it may seem ironic that we go through the desert of our longings only to find that we end up where we began. God's great gift to me, says Jones, is to enjoy me so much that I can be at home with myself. Reluctantly, then, I am able to admit that I really do belong to God and the love affair is true. How might we live our lives if we believed this love affair between the holy and us was true? There was nothing we have to do to become better or more holy or more profound. What would happen if we simply accept the fact that we are beloved, that we are loved? that we are enough. Jesus is telling his disciples, and by extension, us, that we belong to God. This is all we need to know. And how do we understand who Jesus is or who God is? Is by looking at the face of Christ. This is Jesus' promise to each of us. This is the word of comfort. Don't be troubled. You don't need a secret map to the heart of God. Now, Philip isn't all that convinced about this. He says, Rabbi, show us the Holy One so we will be satisfied. It's that map quest thing again. Answer me one more time, God, and I will trust. And Jesus' response here, I really kind of love it. It sounds or contains a hint of exasperation. Have I been with you all this time and still you do not know me? 
probably a question that could be asked of each of us. Have I been with you all these years and still you do not know me? Whoever has seen me, says Jesus, has seen the face of God. Friends, this is the gift of the incarnation. To understand this mystery we call God, we simply need to look to Jesus, his teachings, his compassions, his life, his message. And I'd be so bold to say to understand the face of God, we need to align ourselves with others who have been following the way of God. For when we are able to see in another the very reflection of the holy, we see that the holy is being reflected back to us. So we're able to see the face of God looking us in our face. Mark Nepo recounts a story while driving up north of Monterey Highway 1 in late of October 1998. He writes, I was aching and vulnerable, feeling far from home, being from Brooklyn, when through the harsh onshore winds, I saw a large rock surrounded by rough, churned-up seas. The rock was covered with all kinds of animals. Willets, gulls, cormorants, sea lions, seals, pelicans, otters. All had found refuge from the hammering of the sea, climbing, winging, hauling themselves onto the rock, leaning into one another, lying on each other, finding this rock oasis in the midst of the wind, the sun, and the sea. Too tired once on the rock to fight or be territorial, each one had wrung out by the pounding of the sea and they simply were together in the same place. Nepo suddenly realized this is how we make our way as human beings. This is how we find each other. And this, in my opinion, friends, is why we gather here each Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. To be on that rock together where we don't have to fight or be territorial or to, to territorial or to have our own ways. We gather so we can be with other survivors and each of us is a survivor. Regardless of what we've survived, we know the hammering of the sea. We long for a rock where we can find refuge, an exposed place where we can finally accept each other, where we can finally accept ourselves. You know, the hard gift of life and any of the sadness or trauma that we experience from the storms and batterings of life is that when we find we're too exhausted to uphold our differences, we're able then to open our hearts, letting others in. We learn to trust. We learn to trust that there's room enough for everyone. And this is what Jesus is saying to his disciples and to you and me. No matter what, no matter what, in the house of God, there are plenty of places to stay. And this means, my friend, that there is a place for you. There's a place for me. There's a place for each of us. And Jesus with open arms, says as we sang earlier, I am for you.